Hello, everybody, and welcome to another post-status interview. Today, I'm very happy to have my friend Chris Limo on the show with me. Hey, Chris. Hi there. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining me. Um, so, Chris has been involved in the WordPress community for uh, as a vocal member of it for a little over a year and a half now, correct? Yeah, it's been about three years, but I think the first year and a half were very, very localized to just Southern California. So it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I started uh, traveling to some of the WordCamps as well as writing uh, a daily blog that now is, we're, we're getting very close to two years of it, but it, it didn't really get any real traction uh, until about a year and a half ago. So so depending on how you look at it, that's that's about right. Yeah, so you have familiarity with WordPress going back a number of years, but you've uh, really made your impact on the community starting a year and a half, maybe getting close to two years ago now. Um, and you, uh, as you note on podcasts that you are a regular attendee on, you blog daily over at uh, chrislima.com. And um, tell us about how that blog started. Yeah, so that's the... I've had a personal website at chrisoma.com since 1995. So I started working at a government research lab uh, in 95 and uh, started really working with the web there, right? It was, so we were the third fixed IP subnet on the internet. We had direct connection. We had high-speed connection. These are some of the guys that had been building ARPANET and doing that research and uh, – and so I, I was online all the time, and so it just kind of made sense to go buy the domain name and spin up a website and have a website. And, uh, and so I had several incarnations of that website. I think it's the nature of someone who likes design but isn't a designer that you kind of keep changing the look of the website. So uh, I did that forever. And, uh, and then uh, eventually I started a blog, and I think it was probably the – uh, very late 90s, 99 uh, and early 2000 that I, I spun up a blog and uh, and it was useless, right? Because I seriously <laughs> didn't know what to write on a blog. Like I had friends who were blogging. We were all using this uh, uh, radio user land, I think, was the, it was the infrastructure. And you would write locally and then push it up. And every time you change something, you'd have to kind of resend all your files up. And, and yet, you were doing all this work so that you could write, I had a great lunch today, or <laughs> I, I went out with friends today. Like I, I seriously didn't know, or, or you'd, you'd think about writing because there were some people who were starting to write these, these tech blogs and you'd think about writing how you solved a problem. But I think it must've been about like late 2000, early 2001 when, uh, one of our staff at one of our companies, one of our startups wrote a fairly long, uh, forum post, right? Not even a blog post, just a forum post at a company's website asking for support, but they got into some detail and, um, our, our compliance guy had caught it and said, you're putting, you know, private corporate, uh, secrets and trade secrets and algorithms. You're putting it on the public internet. Now, again, we're still, these were early days. Um, and, and so we had to go have a serious talk. And as the chief software architect at the time, I had to go have a talk with him about protecting the IP and all that kind of stuff. And so the idea of writing a blog where you'd explain how to do something just was, especially in the corporate world, it was just Foreign. unheard of, right? You're like, I'm, I'm. so 
I must have started. Then I started a blog that was more deep thoughts. It turns out when you're, you know, 20 or 30, and I, I don't mean to say this for all 20 or 30 year olds, um, it turns out you don't have very many deep thoughts. So that, <laughs> that sucked. Then um, it's funny. My, my daughter's eight and she, she blogs uh, on a wordpress.com blog. And when people ask her, uh, what's her blog about, right? What do you blog about? She says life lessons. And every time she says it, I crack up, right? Because mm-hmm. she's eight and you're like, what are you going to learn at eight? But she writes some interesting articles about fear or about friendship or about kind of, you know, standing your ground or, or what have you. And so, yeah, she's, she's learning things at her age. And I'm sure at 20 and 30, I was learning things at my age. But what would happen is I'd, I'd write every now and then. Um, and, uh, and then I'd look back a year or two later, having learned more and realize that's all rubbish. Like I don't want that public anywhere. Right. So I delete it all. And so I went through probably four iterations of, of blogs that I deleted over the years. And, uh, and the last stage right before this one started, um, I wrote an article probably on the average of once a month and it was only for my clients. So folks that I was coaching in startups if I had a good conversation and the conversation went into some nuance and detail of how to solve a marketing problem or how to solve a uh, customer engagement problem or how to solve a product design problem, I would write it down in long form and then I'd send it to all my other clients so that they all could access it. But all meant, I don't think I ever ran more than 10 customers a year. So uh, it it wasn't just a few people. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't rushing for page views. Right. No, no uh, high performance requirements at all. So when did you decide you wanted to reach a broader audience? So I, I joined a, a, a blogging uh, course by Chris Brogan, right? And uh, he, had, he had just spun up this thing where um, actually uh, John Hawkins from Nine Seeds worked mm-hmm. with him to build all this stuff. So that was very cool. But I was aware of who Chris was. I'd read uh, his trust agent's book and all that. And um, he was going to run this course where he would give you assignments, you would write, he would review them specifically and, uh, and give you feedback. And you'd also join this little community. And so it, it's, the, it's a um, blog masterclass, right? And so I said, uh, sure. I'll do. And it was, it was pricey, but it was, it was worthwhile as a way to say, okay, how much do I know versus how much do I think I know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's probably a theme in my life. I don't mind spending some money answering that particular kind of question, right? You go in the, you go stand next to an expert, you go stand next to someone who's an authority and you just, you use it as a measuring stick to say, okay, I have several ideas about how I think this ought to work. Um, I have several ideas about what I've suggested to other people. Um, and so I, I took the course, um, and submitted a bunch of homeworks and got a lot of, you know, nice feedback. And, uh, and so it was in September when, uh, you know, he said to help out another student in the class, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to write for 30 days, thousand words a day. Um, I'm going to do that. And anyone else want to join me in this, in this thing for accountability? And I said, sure, I'll do it. Um, as you know, I have a background in public speaking, not necessarily in writing, though I would write a lot of things, but mostly for other people to public speak when I wasn't speaking it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, I can write a thousand words a day. And so I did for 30 days. And um, that was middle, middle to late September. And, and uh, from then on, I've uh, outside of a day or two here or there for travel or illness, um, I've written every day on the blog. 
So I didn't know exactly what I was gonna what I was gonna focus on, and uh, initially debated the idea of of just WordPress as a focus, or just business as a focus, or just public speaking as a focus, or just new product development as a focus, and realized I don't want to run four blogs. So the blog is not called WordPress Opinions. It's not called Presentation Tips. It's called Chris Lemma because I'm I'm interested in those four things, and so I thought I'd write about those four things. I don't write about them equally, um, but uh, I write about them enough and move through them enough that it keeps me engaged. And, you know, as you noted, um, you're kind of spanning these topics and your voice has become a, uh, a bigger voice in the community and in the WordPress world, or at least the small, the small bubble that I'm talking about. And probably a good number of these listeners are a part of as well, but how did you decide these are the people that I want to be an influence on? This is, this is the space that I want to be in. So I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, what I call brain SEO, right? So you think about search engine optimization and you think about how, how do I have to work the system so that uh, Google will put me at the top of a list? Now, I really don't care about that. In fact, I have many friends who consistently remind me of the fact that I'm not doing all that I could in my articles to make sure that there's good SEO going on there. Um, and I, I, I have to you know, say to them, you're right, and I make up for that lack of, of focus and attention by just writing more. <laughs> so, um, but, but there's a, a, a nuance of trying to figure out how to get Google to know what you write about and Google to understand what you do in such a way that Google knows when to put you up top. That's interesting and fine. To me, that's second, secondary. What I consider to be primary is the same dynamic inside your brain. Right. So if someone says to me, WordPress news, right, I know the post status. I know that Brian Krogsgaard is going to come to the top of that list. It's it's one of those things that you've taken a corner. And because you've taken that corner, especially if there's not many people vying for that corner, um, it's a great corner to take. Right. And so in my head, I think of you that way. Now, if we if we're talking about you know, craft beer, I might have you in a list of 20 people that I know like it, but, <laughs> but you're not trying to go for that corner, right? You're, but you are trying to go for, for WordPress news. When I think about um, entrepreneurs in WordPress, right? If someone says to me, entrepreneurs in WordPress, I think about Matt and I go, oh, the Matt report and the interviews. And so I looked at the space two and a half, three years ago and said, okay, I've left, I moved from Northern California to Southern California. I'd closed off all of my coaching startups except for two um, and said, I'm going to step into a new space and start some new relationships down here. And the WordPress community in Southern California was vibrant. And I said, why don't I step in here? And they don't need another person writing tutorials about how to do X, Y, or Z. Um, but there's not a lot of communication. There's not a lot of articulation. There's not a lot of advice and suggestions for how to think strategically about your business. Um, and, and a handful of other areas around there that I thought I could contribute being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 43 now and that makes me 10 and sometimes 20 years older than some of the people that I hang out with. (laughs) And, and so I know for a fact that they're, you know, they're struggling to write life lessons at 20 or 30 and I, I've lived through them, right? And so I thought, well, there's definitely some business um, experience I have, mostly through making mistakes, that could help some folks. And, uh, and so I thought, I looked around, and at the time, 
you know, uh, Bill Erickson had given a great talk on uh, freelance and, and pricing, and uh, there were a couple other posts out there. Uh, I know that uh, Shane uh, from Tribe had written a great a little ebook on, on pricing. So mm-hmm. there was there were a couple resources. Not to say there was nothing, but compared to if you did a search for um, custom post types, or if you did a search for uh, child theming or anything else, you'd find thousands of, of voices talking about it. There weren't a lot of voices on the business side. And so I thought, well, I'll write about WordPress. I'll even write about it from some of the areas in business that I think there's not a lot of people going there. And that will allow me to step into a corner that no one's fighting for. And it's a lot easier to take a corner that no one's fighting for than to try and take a corner that everyone's fighting for. Uh, it's also the reason why you see the, the some of those early kind of core posts were comparison posts, right? Because comparison posts of e-commerce products or comparison of membership platforms or comparison of drag and drops, they cost a lot, right? You've got to buy six or seven drag and drop themes or six or seven plugins for membership. Mm-hmm. You have to install them all. You have to have a hosting plan that allows you to install them all. You have to spend time digging through what your criteria is going to be and setting up sites for each one of them. And then you have to write it all. And that's, pretty expensive if you just want to write a blog post Um, yeah absolutely and so and so you know my take was that's a corner that not a lot of people want to want to go to now you know there are great sites that that focus on selling with wordpress right And, and you go that's awesome so i don't really need to go there and fight for that i don't need to try and keep claim over stuff that i i did several years ago i'm glad there's someone there right i just rather find the places that don't have anyone standing in them and say, okay, if this is a worthy corner, if it's a helpful corner, then why don't I step there and see if I can see if I can do that in a way that doesn't doesn't have a huge cost to me and allows me to add value rather quickly. One of the things that you know I would hear people say is uh, you start you hopped into the community and you bring uh, years of advice in the product space to a market that is so new relatively. Um, I was doing the math, by the way, if you add my age plus WordPress's age, you're still older than us (laughs) (laughs) by a few years. Uh, so you, you bring this wisdom. That's what I'm going to call it. You bring this wisdom uh, from a long time of working in products in more mature markets and you bring it to an, a relatively immature market, especially from a product perspective. Um, and people were just like, where did this guy come from? Um, so why don't you tell us where, what is your background from a product space and how did that prepare you to be able to give advice in the space that we're in, talking about today? Sure. I'm I'm pretty sure that Jeff over at the tavern still doesn't know where I came from. Um, so so if he's listening, I'll be more than happy to to help him um, hear the hear the story. Um, the uh, that's a reference to a tweet he made that that got him a lot of of responses, and he's like, "What? All I was just saying was I'd never heard of you, and then I heard you everywhere." And I'm like, "No, no issue. I got no problem." Um, so I I started like I said, I started work back on the web um, in '95, and so. Uh, I went through all the seasons of and stages of building software for the information superhighway. Uh, we at one point we <laughs> talked about you know when when we were building not not websites. I didn't spend a lot of time on websites. I spent a lot of time on web applications, which meant 
trying to figure out state in a stateless environment, trying to figure out connections to data stores and persisting data when we weren't even sure how to connect to databases. The first versions of that were CGI programs and Perl and, and trying to figure out um, how to do this. And, and there were several people at the time who said, you just don't. You don't build a web app, right? That's just, you don't do it because that's like trying to set up your office in an elevator. And I thought it was a, a very visual depiction of what we are trying to do, right? In a stateless environment, how do you maintain state? And, how, if, if, and if you can't maintain state, you can't really build any kind of applications. And we were still at a stage of a lot of systems in the enterprise world were all two-tier. And suddenly we're talking about three-tier and N-tier. Um, so I spent my, my early days right in the right in the uh, the fulcrum of that transition from two tier to n tier from uh stateful to stateless and trying to figure out how to build this thing called a web app and uh by now it's i think i've launched over 95 SaaS solutions um but in those days we, we didn't even call it you know software as a service we didn't we didn't have the acronym uh SaaS. we we were just talking about a hosted web application, a hosted web system that essentially protected us from what we call DLL hell, right? Because when you had a product that had to be deployed on a thousand desktops, if one DLL was still running in memory and you went to upgrade the system, you would end up overriding all the other files, but not that DLL that was in use. And that translated to a program that wouldn't work because there was a DLL conflict. And that meant that the total cost of ownership for that product was skyrocketing and support was skyrocketing. And so all of a sudden, this idea of replacing that kind of system with a hosted solution where you fixed and applied changes to one place in the cloud, which we didn't call the cloud, um, but you deployed it on the server and then everybody else got access to it immediately. And there was no cost of deployment. There was no cost of, of uh, you know, um, support on the local desktop, et cetera, right? Again, in those days, it was just Netscape, right? And eventually there was mm -hmm. Netscape and IE. Um, but, you know, even support for just two browsers and two versions of two browsers was, was not a lot compared to what we live with today. So, um, so I, I started there, right? I started trying to build software in a browser uh, in, in the, the mid-90s. And uh, that meant using tools like ColdFusion long before they moved to a, a, a Java-based app server. Uh, it meant using Microsoft's first and second versions, eventually ASP, uh, of their technology. It meant um, building some stuff, like I said, with, with um, Perl and CGI. It meant uh, testing out a lot of different application servers and working with a lot of technology to build out what were essentially business, enterprise, sometimes departmental, sometimes enterprise-wide uh, SaaS products. And uh, after several years of that at the research lab and building a bunch of internal infrastructure, internal applications, I spun out a team and we went into startups and I started with one startup uh, building a, an enterprise solution in you know, a hosted enterprise solution. And we sold that company and I spun up another one and uh, we, we built that one up enough and we sold that company and we joined a larger telecommunications solution. So we built an entire billing information system and, and analytics solution all again in the browser and, and uh, sold that company. We sold the technology part of it off and I went and joined another company that was the, um, the fourth startup, and, and that startup, I, we didn't sell. We closed down the U.S. arm. 
and uh, and then I joined another one that we built up, and eventually it sold after I departed to join Emphasis. But over the course of that time, between my time at the lab and uh, and you know uh, five startups, I ended up building fifty or sixty of those um, hosted applications. And so even before I stepped into the WordPress space, and before I stepped into Emphasis, where I've spent the last eight years. Um, I'd done a lot of product work and especially in startups, you, you wear multiple hats, right? You, mm-hmm. you are the guy who has to figure out pricing and you're the guy that has to figure out product marketing and you're the guy that has to figure out corporate marketing and you're the guy that has to figure out how to design software in such a way that it aligns well with key marketing messages. And so um, I, I, I tell folks, there's definitely things you can learn. You can read great, great work. You can, um, there's now articles. You don't even have to wait for a book to get published. There's blog posts and there's tons of stuff you can learn um, by reading. But at the end of the day, uh, a lot of times the, the, the lessons you remember the most are the mistakes you make and live through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a course, right? Eleanor Roosevelt says, that you know you need to learn from other people's mistakes because you won't live long enough to to learn through all of yours, <laughs> and and so I spent a lot of time with a lot of startups in those days, just trying to get a handle on what they were learning and what mistakes they were making and what we did or didn't want to do, uh, and all of that now translates into advice for young startups in the WordPress ecosystem that are going through some of those lessons for the first time now. Yeah. So you have kind of been through this cycle multiple times. Uh, and the WordPress ecosystem, especially from a consulting and business and product perspective, is not very old. Uh, the platform's 11 years old. Really, the first products weren't until 2007 and 2008. Um, so- yeah, you look at you look at the oldest commercial companies, theme companies like. Studio Press, Woo Themes, uh, I Themes, and uh, Headway, right? Headway. And they're they're five and six years old, right? Yeah. Um, when you think about that, the the experience space, right, is very very young, and most of the companies that that we just listed off are run by, uh, in many cases, first time CEOs. Right. And mm-hmm. and they'll tell you like, I, you know, I, I love Corey who runs iThemes and he'll he'll be the first one to look you straight in the eye and say, we just kept trying new things and we tried to stop the stuff we were doing that was bad. And you're like, <laughs> you're like that's that's brilliant. Right. More, more people should live with that rule. They, they get a lot further along in life. Yeah. Um, but but, you know, at the end of the day, if if you've worked in one startup, it's and I'm not saying anyone in the WordPress community has done this, but it's easy to come out of one and say, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I did it. You know, I did it once. And you're like, wait, 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 stop. You did it once. You were at this perfect moment in time where all sorts of events that you didn't control participated in your ability to succeed. And, and serious entrepreneurs understand this, right? But it's easy after your first time to think I did it, I can do it again. Right. And I think, you know, I was telling one entrepreneur, I don't think I got my sea legs uh, until my third or fourth startup. Right. Because each one was different enough that I kept walking into it thinking I got this handled and it would hit me with new new challenges. And I go, wait, I thought I I thought I had the formula. Right. And and even if you're only building enterprise software in a distributed fashion on the Web using Microsoft technologies, if you want to go as as narrow as that, 
um, which is still not super narrow, but that's still relatively, uh, you know, it's a sector, it's a space. And you still go, well, I, I have the formula for that. And you're like, no, actually you don't. There, there aren't, there's a lot of nuance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between one industry and another, the difference between certain tiers of the enterprise and what they spend money on and how they spend money, uh, how they think about customization. There, I mean, there's so many different things that change that you can start a product company and think, I got this handled and discover that, you know, it's not going to work this way, which is also why I don't tell people, you know, here's my six proven ways to become known in an industry because what worked for me in this moment in time in, in the WordPress ecosystem with a blog and taking a corner that other people weren't vying for, it doesn't mean that you could start today. It, that you start today and guess what? Everything's different, right? Mm-hmm. The, there, are more, there are more voices, more corners are taken. It, you know, I, we just saw on Twitter the last couple of days people debating or talking about podcasts and getting into podcasting, right? And you go, look, there was a whole season of podcasting, then it kind of got really quiet, and then it's it's starting up again. And now we've seen, even in the last couple of weeks, a ton of WordPress podcasts kicking off. And you go, but it's harder right now. It's harder right now to start one when the other ones have been going on. I mean, in on WP Watercooler, well, I know Dradcast just hit their 50 mark, mm-hmm. and on WP Watercooler, I think we're on uh, this next week is episode 96 or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what we started then, it's different to try and start that right now, and it's different for someone else to start that now. So it's very it's very easy to say, imitate what I did because it'll it'll produce the exact same results. I don't think it's accurate. Uh, I think it's more realistic to say, I am, I, you know, I worked as hard as I could in the context that I had, and was very lucky in some places. And when you put all that together, here's the result this time. So, yeah. So <laughs> I think that's excellent advice. Uh, adv- advice that I have to remind myself of sometimes too, because when you're trying to think about how how can I succeed in this space that I'm desiring to succeed in, just hard work uh is difficult. <laughs> so it's hard, it's hard to work hard. Yeah. Uh, and in addition to that, you need luck and you need other factors. So one of your goals is to try to give advice to help you speed that up and to help, help you, um, learn from other people's mistakes, as you noted. Um, and that's through storytelling and you also, what, what me? <laughs> yeah. See, you tell a story. I think you said one time that uh, that if you don't start with a story, then uh, you're going to lose your audience. Essentially, like if you just start preaching at someone or you know trying yeah. to tell them what to do, you're not giving context or you're not giving an example, then it's not very effective. And that's something that I have to uh, remember pretty. Yeah, frequently. there's there's a there's a great song by John Mayer, and the first lines of his song are something like. Do you remember the last time you ever changed your mind because of something that was written on a sidewalk or because someone yelled real loud one time, right? Mm-hmm. And you go, yeah, you're right. That's never happened. Like I will never change my mind because someone yells loud or because someone holds up a sign or because someone holds up 20,000 signs. I will change my mind when – I'm able to interact with the content when I'm able to think it through on my own and make a decision on my own. And so when I, when I go to tell people a story, 
I tell them a story so that I leave the story out there. So it's not about me, right? It's about the story and they can internalize the story. They can take the story in and they can spin it around and look at it and they can interact with the story on their own and they can take away their takeaway from the story. I may have my own takeaway, right? I may have my own take on what is most important about the story, but it's amazing. I've, I've told, I've told a story to, you know, about four or 500 people and had four or five people walk up to me and say completely different things they took away from the talk. Right. And you mm-hmm. go, uh, okay, you know, that's, it, it's Good. your job. <laughs> it's your job to take something away from it. It's my job to lay it out in front of you. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think stories are a very effective way to paint that picture and, and to let people pull from it the lessons they need to. Um, but also it, you know, it, relationally it lets us connect better right if i just if i just stand in front of you and say brian here are the five things you're doing wrong the first thing that's going to happen is the wall goes up right because you're like Mm -hmm. who are you to tell me you know what i'm doing wrong but if i say hey brian i just want to tell you this story about this one time i did this thing or one time that my friends worked through this thing and and at the end of it i go i I think it's applicable i don't i don't know yet right if that's right for you first of all i haven't shoved it down your throat and second of all you've looked at it and gone oh my god that's exactly the space i'm in and I don't want to make the mistake they did, right? So then you ask the next question. It comes from you, not me. And you go, so how did they solve that? And I go, oh, okay, well, here, let me, let me give you a couple of tips of what I shared with them, what they did, what the result was. I don't know if that will apply to you. I don't know if that makes sense for you, but, but here's my take, right? And people go, that's very helpful. Thank you, right? Even if they don't agree with it, even if they don't do it, it's, it's a lot easier to bypass that initial defensive wall simply by using a story as a, as a way to do it. So you established this pattern of writing about your experiences, doing comparisons and some other more practical things like that on your blog, and then introducing to yourself or introducing yourself uh, at events and um, maybe online through emails and other people's blogs. And you just started to get to know people that were running businesses around WordPress. Um, How has that turned into some of the coaching types of things that you're doing now and what do those coaching relationships look like? Yeah. So, so I think what, what ended up happening naturally was when you write a blog and you can do this via videos, you can do it a lot of different ways, but when you write a blog consistently and when you show up to certain events and speak, or you make those, those conversations available online, I think what people get more than anything else is they get tone, right? They get, it's easy if you're if you just hear my name a lot. It's or or you know you take some quote of mine out of context. Right, it's easy to go. That guy just thinks he knows everything and he's a jerk, right? You go no, but you know what? I actually heard him. I I, I sat in a room and listened to him, and he wasn't coming across as a guy who had all the answers. In fact, he spent more time talking about all his mistakes. Um, or when he writes his blog posts, they're not all about him. They in fact they spend a decent amount of time spotlighting other folks. And so what you get out of all of that communication and consistent communication, I think is tone. I think people eventually get to a place of realizing I can trust this voice. I, I, you know, and, and on top of that, if you're, if you're writing it with a perspective, you're writing it with an opinion, they can either say, I agree with this guy or I don't agree with this guy. There's, there's a couple people that come to my blog and just about every time I write about a a subject, they feel the need to come and disagree on the post. And if they do it politely, I don't, I don't mind. Right. But it's, it's very clear that they and I don't see the world the same way. But there are many other people who come and, and, and comment who simply just say, I agree. Like, I, I, I'm with you, right? And what happens is over time, the more people hear your voice, the more the, they understand your tone and appreciate your perspective, 
eventually what happens is they say, okay, like I get it. He, he would be valuable to me. He would help me. And I've read his, you know, when I write a post, I try and be helpful, right? I want to add value in the post for free in and of itself. But eventually you're going to read the post and say, that's great. I like it. I want a customized answer. I don't want your generic answer. I want something that's specific to me. And, and that's where people say, can I get, can I get a, a, you know, some time with you on the phone? And so I do that via a service called Clarity at clarity.fm. And it supports kind of one-off calls. It protects me from the people who just want to talk forever for free because there's a, there's a monetary value assigned to each minute and mm-hmm. the system automatically charges people for every minute we talk. And yet what's amazing is um, most of our calls end in about 23 minutes, right? They, they keep track of that data to tell me. But um, I don't want to waste people's time. And if I can get to the heart of the issue and give them my take on it and they, they value that and they say thank you and they leave, it's a pretty short call. Um, but that's for one-off calls, right? And, and that's been pretty successful. I think I have a 4.9 or 5.0 rating. Most people that get on a call end up walking away with something useful and for the most part, that's all they really need, right? They get nervous about, I was thinking of doing this, is this right? Or I want to know which of these things to pick, is this right? And that goes to the heart of those comparison product uh, posts being helpful because then they say, okay, I know you've looked at a lot of this. I trust you. Now, here's my specific situation. Can you give me a specific answer? So I do, I do calls with clarity, and that's been fantastic. I really love it. Um, and I can schedule, which is great, right? Um, so I can I can push it to my afternoon hours, and not have it impact my day job, and and it, that works out great. And then the other the other thing I do is coaching with um, mostly product people, uh, and helping them think through product development and helping them think through strategy and going to market. And that ends up being one call a month or one call every two weeks or one call every week, depending on what they pick. And obviously there's different pricing for that. And I try and keep that to, uh, again, about five to 10 customers a year. I, uh, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I guess maybe, maybe the better way to say it is five to 10 concurrent. So more often than not five concurrent and about 20 total in a year. Um, but I try to keep the total count low. Um, so I don't need tons of customers to make that a very successful side thing. Um, but it lets me it lets me focus closely and lets me try and add significant significant value in that context of direct one on one coaching. So, all of a sudden here, between your blog, uh, something like Clarity FM, and then coaching, uh, some of this <laughs> I know what you're going to ask. <laughs> some of this turned into a pretty real revenue stream. Oh, uh, I thought you were going to go into hours in the day. But, oh well. Uh, no, I already gave up on that one. <laughs> I've I spent enough time with you to know that uh, whatever you do, you do it while I'm sleeping. <laughs> um, uh, so so revenue revenue's good. It's not it's not. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's the the revenue side of it has been good. So um, Clarity doesn't do uh, a lot of it, right? Again, you know, it's, it's, uh, a hundred to $200 a call in general. And that's, that's still good for people, you know, for a call. Um, but, uh, but the, the coaching ends up being, you know, pretty decent revenue. Um, are you charging me for this call? <laughs> I, I'm not charging you for the interview. You're a nice guy. Totally free. Um, uh, but, but that, that time we spent on the phone earlier. Yeah. That, um, 
you're gonna get an invoice. Uh-oh. Um, so so I do the coaching, and and the the sideline coaching ends up being, uh, you know, a, a pretty good stream of revenue, though um, it still isn't a you know. It, the goal is not to make it a ton of money. And sure. um, I also get money from affiliate links on the website, right? So eventually traffic got large enough that that affiliate revenue ended up becoming, um, a, you know, an actual line item in the budget. Like we could, we could say, okay, look, I'm, you know, I'm making, uh, I think it's about two or $3,000 a, a month in, in affiliate revenue alone um, that, you know, that's, that's not nothing. That's that's mm-hmm. definitely stuff. So it lets me fly to conferences. It lets me stay in nice hotels. It lets me um, sponsor events. Almost all the affiliate money goes right back into the WordPress community. So I, I don't I don't buy anything with it. It's not that's not how I buy my monitors or my microphones or anything else. But while I'm really impressed that <laughs> you actually said uh, numbers, and I'm glad you did. Where I was trying to go to that was what you already said was uh, you're not really. This isn't like lifestyle revenue, but revenue that you're then investing essentially back into the community, into the relationships that you have with people, going to the conferences, and and really investing into the WordPress world, right? Yeah. So so even the other consulting money, I'd say at least, oh, I'd guess about 50% of it goes back in the community as well. So all of the clarity money and at least 50% of the consulting money all go back into the community and I mean specifically and directly. So they are spent either traveling to a WordCamp, staying at a WordCamp, flying other people to a WordCamp. If they can't afford it, sometimes I, I buy their airfare or whatever um, or their hotel stay. Uh, I sponsor events. I sponsor the, the WordCamps. And then I also will do a, a, a dinner at many of these now where I'll bring some friends together just so they can connect and, and hang out. And uh, and those can, can also have some, some price associated with it. Um, and all of that is covered by uh, essentially the community. So I know people say I'm generous, but the reality is the community is generous, right? Because the community is the one that's that's in the first place paying for some of my time, and then I turn around and just and just give it back. And that's because I have a um, a, a full time job that um, covers the covers our expenses and more, right? For for our family, so um, I don't have to take a lot of money out of the community, but I do charge a serious rate for coaching because the companies on the other end of it that are paying for it have to be paying the right rate, right? It, I don't do them any service by by giving them a, a discounted rate, right? Um, they have to know the value of what they're paying and they have to be ready to pay it to be able to be, um, to be committed. Well, I know that um, that's been something that's been noticeable from anyone from the outside. And personally, you know, you've influenced me and given me a lot of great advice and uh, been a good friend in addition to uh, a good mentor. But at some point, this changed into not just something you want to be doing on the side and not just something you co- uh, that you're going to do some coaching and blogging and conference attending. Um, and we've got a little bit of... Uh, news for people today and that's that you are going full time into the WordPress world and how are you doing that? Yeah, I I blame you. You right? blame me. Yeah, so we were sitting in uh, at breakfast in a table uh in a hotel cafe uh in South Africa and you said look at what you're doing part time in the community 
um, what would it look like if you were full-time in the community? And then you started brainstorming. I don't know if you remember this, right? But you're sitting there going, well, what if, what if you did this? Or what if, what if you convinced these companies to do this? Or what if you talked to one of these companies to do this? Because I had, I had said the WordPress community is still relatively young. And part of that dynamic means that they likely don't need someone with 20 years experience. They would be perfectly fine in terms of having someone lead or get involved in a leadership capacity. They'd be perfectly fine with someone who has 10 years experience because if you only have five or six, someone who has 10 years experience is fantastic. You're like, oh, you have more lessons than we already have lived our life, right? Um, so, so I was making the case that I would probably always have it as a, as a you know, part-time thing and and uh, and I remember you you know you sat and you you pushed me on it and said well what would it look like and how would you do it and what you know what could work mm-hmm. and uh, that conversation was one of two or three conversations that happened in that same span I mean probably in the months of November and December and uh, I had I'd been talking to uh, you know a one of the hosting companies a well-known WordPress hosting company about a potential position. Uh, an executive position in their company, and by December it had been kind of clear that may not have been the the, the best spot for me given what I wanted to do. Um, but the conversation with them, the conversation with you, and eventually the conversation with one of my friends, uh, Kareem Maruki, who ran the who runs the Velo Media Group and is the CEO of Crowd Favorite, um, where he where he was pushing to say what would it look like if you if you stepped into the space full time, and I and so I give my stock answer, which is I I don't think a I don't think there's companies out there that can, even if I take a significant pay cut, that can afford it and that really should afford it, right? Because you don't need a 20-year veteran. You need a 10-year veteran, and you can probably find that for a lot cheaper and blah, 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 and I can help you on the side. Yeah. And uh, so so that conversation, uh, you know, it, it reached its kind of culmination with the hosting company. It reached its culmination with you. But Kareem, if you know Kareem, you know that um, he's Italian, and, uh, <laughs> and that's all I can say about that, except to say that, you know, Kareem's the kind of guy who's like, let's talk about it again and let's talk about it again and let's talk about it again. And, and eventually, you know, you talk about it enough that you start actually thinking about what that would look like. And as you know, I've, I've told you this before, mm-hmm. um, the reason I left startups was because I got married and we had our, our daughter, Emily, and my wife said, um, no more startups for at least five years. And, uh, and I, I value my wife more than my career. Right. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll leave the startup world and I'll just do, uh, I, I joined a company called emphasis where I got to do a lot of entrepreneurial things. Um, but, uh, but I just said, I'll, I'll, I'll step out of that space and I'll, I'll do the coaching as a, as a hobby because it still lets me interact with startups, but, but I will, I will make sure that, you know, Melissa is happy and, uh, over the last eight years, I've been at Emphasis, and I've I've been making sure that she's my you know she's my first customer and the one I need to make sure is happy all the time. Um, she's my partner in life, and she's if you've met her, you know she's the better half of the Lemma Clan. So <laughs> I'm married up, and and when you do that, you know that you spend the rest of your life just trying to keep earning or or being in the place where you can recognize the fact that um, it's worthy to make the trade off the way I make them. So. Uh, in about that same time, Kareem decided to be uh, mischievous and devious, and uh, and I blame him as well as blaming you. And uh, and he decided not to, you know, one of those conversations, he decided not to talk to me. 
he decided to talk to Melissa instead. <laughs> and uh, I consider that pure evil um, because because he knew where you know where the decisions get made. So he he went on on and and uh, he talked with her and said, you know, what do you think is right? And when what, you know, what do you think about the fact that he's he's doing all this? Plus, he has a full time job, and then he does the coaching, and then he does the writing, and then he has to fly off to camps, and he's gone for the weekends. And if you ever need anything on the weekend, like he 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 went as far as to say, look, when when he's at a camp and I'm still here, even though Cream goes to all the camps I go to, he's like, if I'm home, you know, you just let me know, and I'll come over, I'll help anything, right? And I'm like, like, what are you doing, right? He's like. I know where the power sits in that family. So, um, so then she started having the conversation with me, right? She started saying, well, you know, you sound a lot happier when you're on a WordPress call than when you're on a work call. Um, and I said, I'm not unhappy at work. I, I may be a little bored, but I'm not unhappy. And she's like, I'm not talking about, you know, unhappiness. I'm just talking about you're actually happy when you're doing the WordPress stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you're actually happy, why aren't you spending more time there? And so we started talking it through and spent months talking through what the, uh, what the, um, consequence would be, you know, if, you know, cause you start thinking through, okay, financially, what's, what kind of hit are we taking and what's it going to mean? And even when you talk about this coaching stuff, the reality is, um, several clients now will say, okay, I no longer want to get coaching from a guy who's in the community and has picked a side. Right. Um, and so we knew we were, we were going to cut through a lot of that. Um, but Still, at the end of the day, it was all theoretical, right? It was, you know, I kept saying to Kareem, someday, maybe, some way, who knows, we'll see. And uh, and recently he called up and said, okay, I want to have a serious conversation. And and I thought, what, have we not been serious so far? Uh, but, but, you know. Serious he, meant he wasn't going to take no for an answer this time. Yeah, yeah. He, he was like, I, you know expect a horse at the at the foot of your bed tomorrow morning kind of serious and i was like well yeah okay we can we can talk more so um they put together an offer that uh allows me or invites me to be the um chief technology officer and and currently the the strategy guy um for crowd favorite and to be to continue my you, you, you probably know i was a or have been a board member um for the Vell media group which is the parent company there and to to step into a role that that um, provides executive level leadership to uh, crowd favorite and to all of the Bella Media Group companies uh, and to help them as they grow and uh, work on both professional services and ultimately some products in the uh, enterprise space of of WordPress. Right. So the, the, it's really a, a particular tier in the in the WordPress ecosystem. But given that I've spent the last uh, 20 years just focused on the enterprise space and, uh, and given that I've built products for that enterprise space and I've done pricing that enterprise space, uh, and many of our products have required professional services in that space. It, you know, it, there was a lot of alignment there to, to be had. So I, uh, I got the offer, um, just the other day and, uh, and, and said yes. And so, now I'm working with emphasis to to figure out the right timeline to exit out of the business, um, which you have to you have to unroll a couple things right when you're a VP, and so there's there's some work that has to be done there, um, but then I'll step in full time into the community. So this is probably a good time to just kind of give people a little bit of history on Crowd Favorite and Velo Media. You mentioned that Crowd Favorite and Velo Media were. Uh, part of the same organization. Velo Media is the parent company. 
it was last November that that was an announcement um, that was made. And Bellow Media is the company where Kareem comes from that he was the president and CEO of and crowd favorite prior to last year was uh, run by Alex King, who was one of the first contributors to WordPress uh, 11 years ago and even the software before that. So uh, Bellow Media, from a consulting standpoint, adopted the name crowd favorite. So that's kind of how that uh, yep. all came together. That's that's exactly right. So, and I because I was on the board uh, of Velo Media, I I got to participate in working through that deal and uh, and making that happen, as well as the acquisition of Pixel Jar and most recently the um, letter of intent to acquire a company called Forty, which uh, does design out of out of Arizona. And uh, so there's there's been a lot of good growth. And this is one of those, you know, this is one of those reasons where eventually you get to the point where you say, okay, um, crowd favorite is, uh, I, th- I think it's now 60. I could be wrong. I, it's, it's 58 or 62 or somewhere in there, but I, I'd guess 60 now. And it's big enough and it's doing enough uh, interesting and challenging work that uh, someone like me can end up adding some uh, leadership, management, and strategic value uh, to the organization. And so I, I said, yeah, that I think that makes sense. And it brings uh, a bunch of my disparate pieces of my life together in a way that brings tighter alignment. And, uh, and so I think it, it finally, it made sense. Plus, you know, Melissa said she wanted it. She liked it. She said it was good. And I just said, okay. So, I mean, crowd favorite, maybe from a culture sense, it's got a startup feel to it, but really it's a, business, the consulting business that's been an in product business that's been around since 2007 in some form. Um, and in its current form is at least fairly mature and has dozens of employees. So it's, uh, it, it's at this point, one of the bigger players in the consulting market from a strictly marketing themselves, uh, within a, a certain kind of realm of, of, uh, website consulting. Is that accurate. Yeah, though I would say and I think this is where uh, some people get get really confused because I've I've been in startups where we raised 150 million. I've been in startups where we've had uh millions in revenue and and had 300 staff and they've still been startups, right? So I think sometimes people think of startup as a five-person shop that that doesn't know where their pay is coming from. <laughs> um but but the reality is in my mind a startup is a startup predicated on many you know many things right several dynamics related to their revenue model their their leadership and infrastructure model right their uh, how they are attacking or stepping into a space um, when you compare uh, crowd favorite stepping into a, a, a deal with um, you know with with uh, National Geographic or uh, the Dallas Mavericks, um, or you imagine even someone like web dev stepping into a conversation with Microsoft, Microsoft doesn't look at and national geographic. Don't look at these companies and think, Oh, blue chip 30 year experience. They have five tiers of infrastructure to go from the CEO down to the guy doing the work. There's layers upon layers of accountability. There's, um, you know, redundancy on process, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they, they don't look at that company and see that. They see a startup, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so given my background in 
in working with startups and being in startups and helping those startups grow all the way up to uh, three and four hundred person companies and and being on the executive teams of those places where I've worked through a lot of uh, management and leadership issues as well as the, um, the nature of remote staff, all of which apply uh, in the crowd favorite and Velo Media story. Um, it made you know it made sense on a lot of different fronts. I mean, Kareem's take was we need you in many places. We don't just need you in one spot, um, and and that made sense. And I said, okay, yeah, I think I think that that lines up well. So, crowd favorite is remote, but has several offices as well. Is that? Yeah, so they're different. They do a different version of remote than than most of the way people do remote, um, and and it's one that we started talking through. Uh, based on on Kareem's ideas and his experience, but also in terms of some of my research uh, in in remote staffing and management, and we we built the idea of what are essentially micro satellite offices, right? Um, what we call micro nationals, especially on the international stage, uh, because what you discover is that culturally, different companies, especially in the enterprise, when they go to do a business deal with uh, a company, they expect certain things, right? So if you're in Italy and we have an office out there, if you're Fiat, and I think we do some work for them or one of their subsidiaries, but if you're Fiat and you uh, and you want to sign a deal, you know, you're going to meet for a few mornings in a cafe, but eventually you're going to go to an office and you're going to expect that there is a physical presence and you're going to expect that there are staff in that office. Uh, at the same time, we know that when people work collaboratively together, when they're physically together, they can go deeper and they can push further. But you don't want to be in a place where if you have the office in Italy and that's the only office you have, you either have to only hire folks that are close to the office or people who want to transplant to that office. That that you know significantly restricts your talent pool. So essentially what we did is we created offices um, in Eastern Europe, uh, there in, in Italy as well as in New York and uh, Denver, in Arizona, and in California, where there are physical offices where small groups of people get together in Las Vegas. And uh, um, I'm sure there's one I'm missing. Um, I think we're talking to some folks in Chicago, but don't quote me on that. Um, and so, so what happens is those offices give you the best of both worlds, right? You have the ability to have staff in multiple uh, locations, and at the same time, you have uh, the ability to hire in different regions of of the country or in different parts of the world without worrying that they all have to move to one city. And uh, and so you get the best of both worlds. And from a business perspective, you get the the best way to to interact with some of those corporations in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Um. Well, con- I mean, congratulations on the on the change, and um, I'm sure that your influence will be felt there uh, even more so than I know it already is, just from being on the on the board. Um, from a strategy perspective, and I won't take up too much more of your time, but from a strategy perspective, what what do you think we should be prepared to see? Both from crowd favorite, if you've got it, or just in general, where do you see? Uh, kind of the WordPress economy going? It's a great question. Um, so I don't, I don't have the specifics on, on uh, crowd favorite yet, or at least none that, that are, that I have to step into the business first to make sure that they're even legit to say them. But, um, but I would say this, right. We are getting to the point of maturity 
where you can expect to see uh, more consolidation among companies, more collaborative joint ventures, and eventually, uh, whether it's an acquisition or it's a merger or uh, you're doing a, a, a you know a tuck-in or a, a JV. In the U.S., there's a lot less joint ventures than there are in, in Europe um, and South America, but uh, but the reality is that we're getting to the point where you're going to realize, right, that at some level, your competition isn't actually helping you, right? That that you fighting against another guy um, who is your friend and who you guys do so much that's similar that, you know, at some point it makes more sense to come together and look more consolidated and have less fighting when you go after a market, right? I mean, I think it's easy for us to always be comparing ourselves to other people in the WordPress ecosystem. So if you're a calendar plugin provider, you look at the other calendar providers in the space, right? And my in some of the coaching I did with WooThemes, right, I would challenge them to say, your bookings plugin isn't competing with other bookings plugins in the WordPress ecosystem. It's competing with other SaaS products, right? And so how do you have to think about that competition differently? Well, in the case of hosting or in the case of plugin development or in the case of theme development, you're competing with not just other WordPress companies, you're potentially competing for just the, the CMS of choice. You're competing with just a website because the people don't understand the technology at all. And so sometimes it makes more sense to say, how do we take, if your company is focused better on mobile or your company is better focused on UI or your company is better with backend engineering and integrations, how do we take a couple of these players and bring them together to make a, a larger player that has more weight and can actually tackle uh, the enterprise more effectively. So I think on the high end, that's probably the thing that I, not only do I predict, but the one I'm more excited about because I think I can add uh, even more value in that space as we as we move towards that. Of course, that doesn't address the majority of the market that isn't the enterprise space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're going to see, I think there are several, several different dynamics playing out there, right? The first of which I think is um, table stakes are changing, right? So... When you look at when you look at at hosting four years ago, three years ago, um, WP Engine when they came on the stage, they were like, um, "We we we do it on Nginx, right?" And everybody else was Apache, and so that was like, "Wow!" Or they said, "We do staging," and no one else did staging, and you're like, "Wow!" Or you know, we we do uh, this this high performance caching, and and very few others were doing it, and you're like, "Wow!" And today, if someone said, "I have," caching and a staging environment and we're running on nginx i don't think there's anyone who's going to say wow right or at least not in the community that we spend our time in right because um, mm-hmm. they're like well that's that's that became wow became no duh right like like <laughs> oh, oh yeah so so what right like so table stakes are changing and i think that's going to apply uh, a decent amount of pressure in a lot of places and that's not just to hosting that's to um, plugins, plugin support, themes, theme support, uh, theme marketplaces. I think we're going to see it in a lot of places where the table stakes have gone up. What it takes to play and what it takes to compete are going up because the the, the space is maturing. And and I think you can't sit back on your laurels and say, I have something. I mean, one of the companies that I I, I love to point out as a as a company that has kind of continually evolved and thought about this is iThemes. Um, and our our friend Corey Miller, who who runs it, because you know it's easy to say, well, I have a theme framework, 
and I have a theme, and I have lots of child themes, and you should just, I mean, this is what you should buy, and, and uh, I'm going to market that even more, and then I'm going to market it even more. And instead, you know, it, they, it just, just yesterday, um, exchange, their, their uh, entry into the e-commerce space turned one year. And it's mind-boggling to me that it's been a year, right? I mean, I got to spend some time with Corey before they they um, finished the plugin and launched it, and got to spend some time talking through a lot of the membership side of things. And it's a fantastic product. But what's interesting about that story to me is that when they entered the market, there were already several competitors. There were there were tons of products already in the space, and yet. Not only did they step into the space, they stepped into space, they carved a corner, they took the corner. There's a lot of people that find that they're very useful and very helpful in certain ways, and, and they're, they're finding some success. But more importantly than even that, they were a theme company, right? And, mm-hmm. and yes, they had several plugins, and they had Backup Buddy, which was big, but they haven't stopped. So they, they said, okay, let's add e-commerce to it, and let's add security to it, and let's add more to it. And uh, Sync now is, is, a, is another incredible product, and they just announced last week a, a, a mobile version of it. So I think we're going to see uh, table stakes for playing the game go up, and, and I think that's going to be good for everyone. I do think uh, it's going to be hard for some folks, right? Folks who just want to sit back and say, but I have this thing and it's good. Why do I have to do more? Um, yeah. and, and hopefully, I mean, most of our friends are not those kind of people. Most of our friends are people that will say, okay, it's time to step it up. Let's, let's go step up the game. But I, I think we can expect to see that. Um, I, I, I think we're getting to a place where over the next several years, um, we're going to have to figure out, um, what does it look like to deliver the whole thing in a box? Uh, and by the whole thing, I mean, hosting plus key curated plugins plus, uh, WordPress plus uh, beautiful theme options plus whatever, right? And so I, I've written a little about Rainmaker and the fact that Studio Press is doing it, but I also wrote about Evermore, and I know you wrote about them, and, and they're doing a similar one that isn't Studio Press specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna see just two in the space. Oblox Instant's another one. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, we're going to yeah. see more. And it would not shock me if one of the hosting providers or two of them decided. Um, like To me, that's like a no-brainer for someone like Flywheel. When, when to own they, a hosting company? Yeah, a hosting company that says, we'll do this for designers. Or a and theme company, not, I mean. Yeah, to, to, well, they're, they're, they're currently doing hosting for designers. Why not a, a hosting and full package for non-designers, right? And you just say, look, we'll take care of all this, right? And so... It's not going to shock me if we I, – I think we're going to see several of these um, canned in-a-box solutions because the, the community is growing not just in terms of its expertise, not just in its ability to tackle the enterprise. But on the very lowest end, I think we're going to see um, that it's growing out at the outside edges. And mm-hmm. when it's growing at the outside edges, those are people who don't know anything, right? I mean my, my, my wife's hairdresser just told her last weekend – Oh, I've heard about this WordPress thing, and someone told me I need to start my site on WordPress. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to do that, right? So you're, that's what your husband does, and because and, she had asked, you know, and and oh, my husband does software, but he also works with WordPress, and she's like, I've heard that word, right? Mm-hmm. And so for her, it's just a word. Right. That's all it is, but it represents for her a dream. It represents for her kind of the way to do everything easy and fast and without much work. And so I think we'll see that. And I hope my last prediction, I guess, is. I hope we will see um, some conferences or events that uh, continue the the line of what 
we've seen Pressnomics do uh, generically and broadly, right? I mean, that's a 200-person conference, and that's awesome for the business side of, of the ecosystem. I, you know, I, I, this year I spent some time on events, and so I hosted a, a, a very small mastermind in, in Cabo, um, which you declined to come to because you were going to some wedding or something you thought was important. I'm a terrible person. Yeah, exactly. You went to Cabo later. I, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, he just went. No, I was on the East Coast. I was on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, I held that event. Um, we have upcoming in August. We have a, a cruise where a group of friends are going to go, but it's not, it's not a mastermind. Um, but I have a feeling we're going to see more and more events, right? We saw we did Beach Press recently. Um, there's now East Meets Press because apparently they didn't want to use the same branding. Um <laughs> There's SnowConf and there's others. I, I think we're going to see, and I would love to see more targeted business uh, advice and communication and help and tutorials in a way that is a three or four day event. I know I've started to talk with a couple people about the idea and uh, I would not be shocked if, if we don't see more of that from not just me, but from multiple people who are really trying to say, okay, let's help us mature. Let's help us accelerate through some of that maturity so that we don't all make the same mistakes and we don't all end up in the same place of saying, ah, this theme club is not, you know, financially viable anymore or this, you know, this approach to plug-in pricing is not viable anymore. There's no reason why 12 companies should all learn that at the same time. Um, there's, there's definitely a better way to learn, learn through those things. Well, I agree, and my dog's bark confirms that she agrees as well. Um, one of the things you said earlier was about just how people have heard of WordPress and they know the word that continues to amaze me because as you know, you know, you're trying to tell somebody what you do and you're trying to be a little more specific about it. Um, WP engine did a survey their last one. They did said that 30% of adults, adults, not like internet people, like actual real adults have heard of WordPress, but like you said, they're just a word. And then when you look at adoption rates, WordPress is 22% of the web, but it's well over 50% of the CMS market, which means that there's a massive amount of the internet that's not on a CMS at all. And then more than that, there's a humongous percentage of businesses that it's kind of amazing that they're not even online yet still in 2014. So when I think of that, it kind of boggles my mind as far as how big the market still can be compared to where it is today and how much at that point that later growth you know considering the internet's been here since or the you know public facing website at least has been here since 1994 1995 or so where businesses really started to get online the market is going to just continue to grow and continue continue to be user-centric so i'm i completely agree from that perspective that it's going to have to continue to get easier yeah, it's, we're going to see it grow at the outside edges, and that's going to be a play for ease, and I think it's also going to be a play for education. So I think if you're focused on ease of use and getting rid of all the implementation, getting rid of all the, um, you know, uh, what we call impedance mismatch, right, in, in the software world, um, where, you, where you think about all the, all the little details to make this stuff work, um, you want to get rid of all that, right? So there's still a lot of room for people to get easier and easier. It's why it's why people talk about um, some of the other CMSs out there, which are not nearly as uh, as powerful, but and don't have the same community. But on first pass, they feel easier, right? To an end user who knows nothing except a word, um, 
and they feel easier. So I think there's still a lot of room on the low end to really focus on ease of use and to focus on education so that people have a kind of a hand to hold as they move through that. Um, and then on the high end, it's figuring out uh, how do we engage the enterprise in a way that doesn't come across antagonistic, right? So you can imagine, right, going into a company that has a hundred web developers who are 10-year veterans, 20-year veterans of software development, and they've been building even websites without a CMS for the last 15 years, and they know three or four different languages, and then they look at WordPress and they go, where's the API for this? And, and of course, we're just starting to get an API, which is awesome, but maybe they pick something that we don't have, right? Or mm -hmm. they say, look at this underlying database. This is, this is crap, right? We need to change this. And we want to be very careful how we approach that enterprise conversation um, because there are reasons why the, the code looks the way it is, right? There, it's, not, it's not arbitrary. It's not because we're idiots. There are reasons why we're, we're making choices for it to work the way it is. And there are ways to navigate through that. But, but if we approach it with the sense that they just don't get it or they're doing it wrong, if we approach it from you know the position of, of you don't get it, um, that's that's not going to be a message that's well received by uh, an organization that has hundreds of developers who have all the time in the world to do whatever they want, right? And and whether they whether they fork it or whether they go and write something different or whatever, you lose the engagement, right? So, um, I, you know, I was having a, com a conversation at dinner with a Fortune 500 company, you know, two weeks ago, and she said, "Well, we thought we'd just, um, you know, kind of." fork software and do our own thing and fork your conference and do our own conference. Right. And, and oh so I spent, you know, I spent an hour just walking through, um, no, no, like he, he, here's the background. Here's reasons. Here's why we can still do it this way. Here's how to think about these things and giving your developers full credibility for their and, and, and respect for their experience and their assessment and still explain why and how to, you know, how to stay in the community and add to the community rather than, departing from it, right, and taking something away from it. So I think there's a lot of, of room for us to, to work there, um, both internally in how we communicate, as well as externally how we message and explain the, the whys and wherefores of, of the, the WordPress way. So I have one final question for you. With your change going into uh, WordPress with all your time, I say not full-time because I think you were probably – doing double time between emphasis and WordPress before, but now you're putting, going to be putting all your time into WordPress. How does that change the properties we know you buy? How does that change chrislima.com? Uh, any other plans that you have and what's, what's that landscape going to look like moving forward? So I think, uh, I think chrislima.com will, um, will stay exactly the way it is. It will, um, probably offer, uh, coaching consulting a lot less, or at least some of the more strategic consulting may come through CrowdFavorite rather than through chrisama.com if someone wants uh, to still do that. Um, but for the most part, the blog will, will stay the same. We've talked that through and that's pretty clear. I also have two other sites that are getting ready to launch. One that is specifically focused on teams. So team development, team engagement, team management, hiring into teams and all that kind of stuff. It's not WordPress specific at all. Um, and that's a site that's not yet launched. Um, but 
I have uh, the Borns from Born Creative working on the design, and I'm supposed to be finishing up the content right now. Um, <laughs> Sounds like and, you're behind. Yeah, I, I got, you know, you know what happens is you work with professionals. They send you an itemized list of every bit of content you need, and all of a sudden you realize, I thought I had most of it, and then you read it and you're like, there's a lot I don't have. So now I'm feeling a little bit of the pressure. Um, but uh, but that's one site that that is going to be focused on on some some very specific material that maybe doesn't fit perfectly at christhema.com. And then uh, I have another uh, site, WP Advisor, which is um, fortuitous, right? Because it's basically a lot of the coaching content that I did for product companies on the on the lower end, um, but it's going to be in the form of a course so that um, the videos will all be there and I, I won't actually have to uh, deliver or engage it, but people can just buy and have access to that. So that's getting ready to launch soon too. And uh, so I'll end up with three properties, um, but but nothing about uh, Chris Emma will really dramatically change. Um, I'll still write. I'm pretty sure that CrowdFavorite wants me to write on their blog as well. So um, I will be be adding to it. And I'm, I'm waiting. I still, I, I look in my inbox every morning for the post status login information to contribute over there. But, but I, I have yet to reach the, uh, you know, the people over there who would who would pass that out. So I'll I'll just keep checking my inbox. We'll have to get onto those guys. <laughs> they're they're dropping the ball, for sure. Well, Chris, I really really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a great chat, learning from you as always. Uh, I'm excited to have you uh, full time into the the WordPress world, and uh, I'm, I'm certain that you will shake things up and do exciting things and really look forward to to seeing uh, how your career uh, shapes into its new phase and uh, all that you have coming up. So uh, thank you for joining me and everyone, you know his blog uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Lemma and meet him at a WordCamp near you. So Chris, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Take care.